In life and in death, we belong to God. Our text of Scripture for this Trinity Sunday focuses on the creation, the very first chapter of the Bible. It is the story of God, maker and creator of heaven and earth. I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us from the book of Genesis. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And so God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? And so, Creator God, we come before you today and ask that you would abide with us. And that you would speak to us as only a living God can. And that you would quiet within us any voice but your own. That we may receive your word. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, perhaps you've heard me tell a simple story, but it sets up my sermon so well, I'm going to tell it again. It's the story of a young second grade woman who was preparing a report for her second grade class, and so she approached her mother, who was in the kitchen preparing dinner, and she said, Mommy, how did I get here? Her mother was a little too busy to try to explain the birds and the bees as she was trying to get the meal out. So she responded simply, well, honey, the stork brought you. When her daughter inquired further, then how did you get here? The mother replied, go ask your father. So the little girl went to her father, who was in the study reading the paper, and she said, Daddy, how did you get here? The father thought for a moment about the possible ways he might try to respond to that question, but in the interest of time, he said, well, the stork brought me, honey. Whereupon his daughter asked, well, then how did grandma and grandpa get here? 
And the father ducked the issue entirely and suggested, just go ask Grandma and Grandpa. So the little girl then went into the TV room where Grandma was watching the television. She said, Grandma, how did you get here? Intent on her show and not wanting to overstep her children in the explanation of birds and bees, she replied, well, the stork brought me too. So with that, this little young girl went up to her bedroom to start her report, and she wrote, there hasn't been a natural childbirth in my family in three generations. <laughs> I told you it was a silly story. Um, but it does sort of set up a very interesting... Oh, thank you. Yeah, how did that... Uh... <laughs> the stork did it. Yeah, that's right. The stork must have done that. Not sure quite how that got right in front of the pulpit. Uh, how do we understand creation? We all know the birds and the bees and how we got here, but we also affirm with the psalmist in Psalm 139 that God has knit us together in the womb and we praise God, because we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well, says the psalmist. We don't say, well, we're descended from Adam and Eve, or we're, we don't say that my life is actually an accident that my parents didn't intend. The claim is that somehow the Creator has had a hand in creating life each and every one of our lives. Faith and science. Two different ways of understanding creation. Sometimes educated people think that the biblical view of creation represents a naive relic of a pre-scientific mythology and it really must be discarded in light of what we now know from scientific research. But my contention and the contention of many is that the biblical view and the scientific view are not so much in conflict with one another in their understanding of truth. They complement one another. They are two fields that ask very different questions. They're not so much alternative facts or alternative truths but different aspects of the truth. Science asks questions about the observable character, the structure, the processes, and the facts of the given world, its development in history. But it does not and it cannot say what is behind the development of that world or the meaning or the purpose of those processes. But I think that's exactly and precisely what our text today seeks to claim. That behind the process of creation lies the Creator. The uncaused cause of all that is. And therefore, the world and everything in it is good. Despite the evidence to the contrary. And therefore, we need fear nothing in the world, nor can we give ultimate loyalty to anything in the world. God alone 
deserves our loyalty. Preparation for this sermon, I was reading in the paper this week an article entitled Oldest Fossils of Homo Sapiens Found in Morocco, Altering History of the Species. The article tells the discovery of fossils that are the oldest remains of human beings. And until recently, the oldest remains dated back about 195,000 years. But the Moroccan fossils date back about 300,000 years. And previous findings led to the theory that Homo sapiens evolved from a small region somewhere in East Africa, and that perhaps 70,000 years ago, a small group of these Africans made their way to other continents. But this new find is kind of a resetting of the clock on humankind's debut, according to the article. Science is still discovering wonderful things about our origins, but it can say nothing about the why of creation. One physicist described it this way, if the experience of science teaches us anything, it's that the world is a very strange and surprising place. The many revolutions in science have certainly shown us that. And if that's true of our encounter in the physical world, it's likely to be even more true of our encounter with the Creator, God. Strange and surprising. Ordered chaos. It's a pretty accurate description of what scientists are discovering about the universe. And I can't help but wonder about what sort of revolution in my own understanding of God might be necessary for me to completely or even partially understand the creator of all that is. So when we proclaim in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We don't mean to say simply that God just got it all started and then retired from the scene. That's a completely different way of understanding than Christian faith. It wasn't that God just created, but that God is creating all the time and recreating. God is not an absentee landlord. The world is an open place. It's not deterministic. We act and we can change outcomes in the world. God also acts in the world of God's making. Unpredictable? <laughs> Absolutely. God calls the world into existence and then calls the creation to be faithful representatives in the world. And the story of Genesis is about the gifts that are given and the demands announced with those gifts and the various responses evoked by God's calls. Two calls. To live in the world as God would have us live 
and the call to live in the community of the faithful, the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I know we can affirm that the world is good, but the world is not God. We're free to live in the world with thankful and joyful lives in responsible ways. But the rather obvious statement that the world is good but not God has two consequences that are not so obvious. Nothing in the world is to be feared. And nothing in the world is to be worshipped. The whole world and everything in it depends upon God for its very existence. That is a statement of faith. Therefore, visible things... Things of beauty, food, drink, sex, the achievements of science and technology, they can become things that use us instead of good gifts that God has given us to use. But to believe that God is the maker and ruler of all things is to believe that no visible thing, however powerful, however destructive it may become, is stronger than the Creator the one who made it. And the same is true of the invisible world. To say that God is the maker of heaven and earth is to say that there's an end to all superstitious dependence on luck and the fear of the supernatural. To say that God has created all that is is to say there are no rival gods. There are no dualisms, no good and evil competing. We may live in a fallen world, but that does not change the essential goodness of God's creation. And God is present in the world. The one who stands at the beginning and at the end is also present now, the Creator who was and the one who will be, that God is present now in this world to overcome evil, to establish justice, to minister to the sick, to free those who are enslaved by any power. And therefore, it is worth the effort to fight for progress. It's worth the struggle for our own personal redemption and the redemption of our institutional lives. Essentially, to affirm that God is the maker and creator of heaven and earth is to say that evil exists only as a parasite on that which is good. It exists like a parasite exists on a host. It's a blood-sucking, unwelcomed, and uninvited interloper. It has no existence apart from the host. It is something good that has become twisted and defaced, but is not of equal power vying for the destruction of all things that are good. There is one God. There is one Creator. And that God has created all that is, and it is good. 
So when we claim, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, we claim that we do not give up on life. We do not withdraw from our troubled lives and world. We do not retreat into some other worldly religion. We throw ourselves with renewed confidence and renewed courage into the secular world and we fight for that creation that God has created. And we fight for the goodness that God desires for all people. God has affirmed that goodness of life by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, into the creation in order to redeem it. He's not only the God who has created, He is the God who saves us at the end of time and invites us and commands us to participate in His own creative work. Here and now, in history, for the sake of all people and for the care of the very creation itself. So, there's nothing to fear in all creation. But there is also nothing in all creation that deserves our ultimate loyalty either. God alone deserves our ultimate loyalty. That's the great battle cry against all forms of idolatry in the world. Giving absolute loyalty to something that is only a creature or something that has been created and not the creator itself. When the good gifts of God are made substitutes for God, they become twisted, demonic, enslaving, destroying, even though they promise help and fulfillment to us. The ancients worshipped gods of wood and stone and gold. Today, we worship things like success or body image or fortune or sex or national identity or racial supremacy. And we rebel against God when we worship those things. And it leads to a dehumanizing of our very lives. No finite partial reality is to be given absolute priority in our lives to love and to serve God alone who in Christ has broken the power of sin and opened the way for our salvation that is not to deny the goodness of life it is to celebrate life rightly we're set free from the world and we're set free for the world. So let me conclude with another silly story. There's a story told about a young boy who with his father went out to sail his toy sailboat. He and his father had spent the winter building this little model sailboat in the shop at home over the long winter months and finally the snow cleared and the ice was off the lake and the boy and his father went out and carefully put this beautiful boat that they had glued together, sanded and painted and they placed it in the water. 
This little boy was so excited. I mean, finally the day came for this maiden voyage for which he was waiting. And down to the lake, the sailboat placed in the water, it was watertight. The keel, the ballast under the water kept it afloat. It sailed. After an hour or so of playing with that boat, the wind came up and took the sailboat out of reach. The little boy was too occupied to notice, and suddenly it was no longer within his possession, and it was carried off into the lake. He watched helplessly as the boat disappeared until he could no longer see it. Heartbroken, he returned home empty-handed. But about six months later, he was in town, and he walked by a local hardware store, and he looked, and there in the window was his toy sailboat. So he ran into the shop owner, and he said, Mister, that's my boat. I made it. The shop owner replied, son, I paid for that boat, and if you want it, you'll have to pay me for it. So the boy ran home, grabbed his piggy bank, returned to the store, dumped all of its contents on the counter. The storekeeper counted it all up, and though it was not quite enough to purchase the sailboat, he said, well, it looks like you're the proud owner of a new sailboat. And as the boy walked home with his sailboat in hand again, he said, now you're twice mine. I made you, and I bought you back. Now you really belong to me. The God who made us, the creator who placed us in the remarkable goodness of the created order, is also the one who purchased us back and at some extensive cost. We truly belong to this one, the Creator and the Redeemer, and through the Holy Spirit, the Sustainer of every one of us. So when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, I bet you had no idea what you were claiming. Thanks be to God. Amen.